Welcome back to another episode of Sustainability and Sustainable Finance Solutions podcast, a monthly roundup of the latest transactions and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transactions that have hit the market, and cap off with discussing regulatory updates. This roundup is the curated shortlist for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally, and it may just spark some ideas for future deals and transactions. Today's episode is hosted by Nick and Aditi, who work in sales and business development across the Asia Pacific. All right, so let's dive in. Nick, would you like to start by sharing with us some of the headline numbers and events that have happened in the past month? Absolutely. Thanks for the introduction, Aditi, and good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all of our listeners. We're rapidly coming up to the end of the year and we'll be combining a couple of months of podcasts over the next couple of months um, and also some set-piece um, podcasts, so look out for those. In terms of a couple of, of headlines, look, I guess the third quarter numbers were released. If anyone is keen on looking at a deeper dive on that, normally um, SEB or SED Bank have a really good monthly report that they bring out and also CBI, Climate Bond Initiative, so do check those out. I think it, the main takeaways from that that I noticed was that use of proceeds continues to creep up in more volatile times, volumes are down in line with, um, or not as bad as the overall market, but look, volumes are down versus the sustainable finance space last year. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Green continues to creep up, a little bit more pressure on SLBs, but still growing fast on a relative basis, given that it's a small part of the market. There's been talk about greeniums and, and different type of things. I think although at the moment, it's just the sustainable space or sustainable bond space it's just getting hit by obviously overriding market conditions in terms of volumes, dynamics around pricing and those sorts of things. So fingers crossed, let's see how things go. Um, lots more loans happening around the place and, and other types of things. And, let, and let's see how things are developed into next year. Another thing to notice um, as well was the CBI conference. A lot of the materials for the different CBI connects or the climate bond initiative conferences held in different parts of the world uh, are online. So do check those out. Some pretty good content mixed in there. I dialed in to the, had COVID myself, unfortunately, so I couldn't attend, but actually uh, dialed in. And there was lots of talk about just transition. There was lots of talk about the role Singapore can play as a regional hub. There was lots of talk about further electrification. There was lots of talk about accelerating to much, much, much higher levels to get anywhere near the spend of multiple billions per year for the next 50 years to achieve what we think we need to achieve. There was other things around blended finance. There was, yeah, just the ongoing acceleration, hopefully, of transition. Intraoperability of taxonomies is always a hot one. So just lots of those key themes delved into. Maybe not so many new themes, but just more key themes reiterating. And, and I think this whole issue of social just transition, we're seeing that play out in COP27, which we'll talk about in next month's or upcoming um, podcasts as well. One sort of highlight to note is that the green bond issuance cumulative did pass over October um, $2 trillion mark over the last, I believe, 15 years. So whilst the market's getting a bit battered at the moment, in terms of where the market started and where it's what it's achieved to date, I think is a remarkable achievement. But we all know that we need to theme, channel, drive more capital to the types of areas that, that I just mentioned that we always talk about on the podcast. But as a marker, um, absolutely good to note. And COP27, I mentioned before, we'll talk about that more in upcoming podcasts once the dust settles, literally, so to speak, in Egypt. Greenwashing continues to be a hot topic 
And I'd encourage people to have a bit of a look at probably the most detailed report that I've seen on this is from the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK, come up with, a, I think it's 180 or two pages, uh, 180 or 200 pages, I should say, and looks at different labelling aspects of funds, some of the keywords or shouldn't be done in terms of best practice. So I think there's going to be a lot more guidance notes, reports, possibly legislation around how some of the words are used, at least for funds. And we know in our business, sustainable finance business, connected business, investors really drive this market. So once they start playing to certain rules about what things can be called in terms of funds, that will then drive maybe a little bit more consistency about what other things need to show and how things can be classified to make sure that they're best represented. So definitely watch this space. Our friends have been busy at a climate bond initiative. I keep mentioning them before. They've got lots of reports that have come out, 101 for policymakers, lots of different things about green corridors and green trade flows. Definitely check that out. There's been a new standard on the hydrogen just released. That's a really good reference. There's also some, I believe this is closed now, but some consultations around CBI's proposed approach to looking at SLBs and even corporate or entity level certification designation around transition, which will be a very, very interesting development for the market. So lots of good work from the Climate Bond Initiative there. I noticed some articles, the ongoing things about scope three really heating up and, and that the ISSB, International Standards for Sustainability Reporting, part of IFRS, really came out very strongly to say scope three will be in the mandatory baseline of reporting. The SEC's talked about that. So it's great to see that type of issue getting legislated more. It's a difficult one, but we know that companies have a lot of impacts, risks and opportunities in their, in their value chains. And we see that in our work connected to sustainable finance, the, the ongoing prominence, emergence of more more projects to tackle scope three or more specific KPIs to make sure that that's included, uh, given our material it is. Another issue that we've seen in a lot of conferences we've attended recently, apart, well, I guess it's connected to just transition, but not only just transition from emerging markets, it's also a driving financing flows, scaling financing flows, labeling financing flows for emerging markets. So there's almost every conference I've been to, there's a section on that. And you know, emerging markets are obviously difficult from liquidity, currency, risk, country risk perspective, and all these type of things that don't go away just because a bond is green or otherwise, but hopefully there can be more funds catalyzed, more funds grouped together, different ways of packaging and using some of the concepts in sustainable finance to drive more financing to these countries. We've got some significant adaptation and resilience issues there. Just looking at my list, a couple of other things to note, we're really going to see the emergence more of blended finance, which is involving private sector, public sector to catalyze more money and capital flows to the areas that we've been talking about. Debt to nature swaps, donors, or not donors, basically lenders who have given money to maybe it's developing countries or have debts, that debt will be repaid and taken out and swapped, if you like, for um, climate commitments or conservation commitments, that's really starting to emerge. I'm not sure how that's going to connect specifically to trades and sustainable finance, but who who knows? We might see more of these type of funding items used to conserve, maintain or grow aspects of uh, conservation or not do something. Lots of different issues come up with that, but let's see. TNFD, for those interested in biodiversity, continue to update their beta um, frameworks and still, I guess, everyone's searching for those magical KPIs that we can easily measure biodiversity. 
um, from lots of articles about the Inflation Reduction Act, I can't even say it, or the IRA, which is an interesting acronym to use for that one, in the US and how that will stimulate greater investment in the green economy. And it's one of the biggest infrastructure portfolio spends in many, many, many years. So keep on the lookout for those. And, and look, that's probably the key the key items that we've seen over the month. A couple of interesting articles, more smaller type topics about catastrophe bonds, contingent type bonds based on if there's a major climate event happening. Interestingly enough, we'll see if that emerges more in terms of insurance linked type of products and labelled products and adaptation and resilience. I've already mentioned in the context of emerging markets, but that keeps coming up almost in every conference, just transition, adaptation and resilience, accelerating transition, pulling more money together more quickly. It's definitely one to keep close tabs on. The final point just in terms of news is is one to look out for. Um, Global Capital had an article about green and social bonds and loans tied to banks' SLL pools. So expecting that market to grow, Nordea did an interesting transaction a while ago. There was an interesting article on environmental finance um, about that one and an interesting linkage between let's just say designated monies funding pools of SLLs because they've been around for a while at the banks and we'll see potentially a whole range of different products starting to get linked to pools of SLLs. So maybe watch that space as well. So yeah, that were the highlights, um, Aditi, and look forward to talking to our listeners about COP27 once the dust um, settles uh, on that side. And for yourself, Aditi, SLLs, SLBs, What's jumped down and what have you noticed over recent uh, recent weeks? Sure, thanks, Nick. So on the SLB side, I think we're starting to see sovereigns also preferring to issue in an SLB format. So Uruguay is looking to issue a sustainability bond tied to its climate and nature-based goals. Their framework has already been published and the opinion was done by us. So this is published on our website. Our listeners can go and check it out. Uh, the other sort of uh, deals that we saw in the market on the SLB side were one was in Japan in the construction sector. This is a Japanese firm, Komatsu that raised about $600 million from their sustainability-linked bond with targets tied to scope 1 and 2 GHG emission reduction, and they have a scope 3 target as well. Another one in the construction sector was a Portuguese firm, Mota Engel. They've published their framework ahead of their potential issuance and looking to issue in the near future. A little bit of a different KPI that they've taken up. This one is linked to lost time injury frequency rate, or LTIFR, So good to see some diversification other than just the environmental KPIs. Then there was an issuance in the sugar industry by a German sugar producer, Sadzaka, that came out with its maiden sustainability link bond. Again, KPIs are tied to scope 1 and 2 GHG emissions. We saw also issuances in the chemical sector by a Chinese agrochemicals firm, Syngenta. There was Italian energy firm Enel that has tapped the market again. They've gone to market frequently in the past and have issued SLBs. So this time they've raised about $4 billion in the newest issuance. And finally, in the retail sector, Carrefour raised a sustainability-linked bond with KPIs tied to saved packaging or plastics avoided. So again, a little bit of a, of a different KPI. And they also have a KPI around reduction of food waste as well. SLLs, we saw more of transactions compared to SLBs, more active market. So in the cement sector, there was CMEX that signed another sustainability-linked loan. As our listeners may be aware, Sustainalytics had provided the opinion for this one, which is uh, published on our website. There was a transaction within the shopping center segment by a Mexican firm called Fibra Shop. 
So they're planning to issue sustainability-linked bonds and uh, get loans after publishing their framework. And their targets are tied to sort of share of renewable energy consumption. Then there were a couple of transactions within the agri and the food and beverages industry by a Dutch dairy firm, Friesland Campina, that secured a sustainability-linked revolving credit facility from a syndicate of banks. There was uh, Caramuru, it's a Brazilian firm with businesses in agriculture and fisheries. So they did a, they signed a loan as well. And another one within this uh, sector was um, Molino Rio. This is an Argentinian firm, so lots of deals in South America that are coming up. Within the property sector, Japanese firm Dai A Real Estate signed a sustainability-linked loan with KPIs tied to reducing CO2 emissions. There was a transaction in the tourism sector by a Kiwi firm, HIND Management, and their KPIs are tied to five targets encompassing environmental, cultural, and social KPIs. So again, more and more diversification in terms of KPIs other than just environmental, which we saw in the past. Rome Airport, for which Sustainalytics had provided an opinion last year and then an updated opinion earlier this year, has uh, signed another sustainability-linked loan facility uh, worth 350 million euros. There were also transactions within the semen sector, both in Indonesia and India. So in India, GSW Cement signed their sustainability-linked loan with targets tied to carbon emissions intensity for their entire manufacturing operations. Uh, there were a few other transactions within other sectors like non-renewables. This was by a Slovakian firm, MH Teplarensky, a transaction within the textile sector, which was a Spanish firm called Tendon. Chemical sector saw a transaction with uh, borrower based in Singapore, actually, in Ake, where you're located. So this was Megachem that signed a sustainability-linked loan. And there were a couple of deals uh, within the shipping sector. This was a Chilean firm called Agunsa with loans tied to targets taken up on gender and uh, reducing water usage. Telco saw a transaction with the Dutch firm Telia that borrowed under a sustainability-linked loan framework. And then finally, within the utility sector as well, there was an uh, Italian utility firm, IREN, that signed a sustainability-linked loan tied to its water footprint performance. So those were sort of the deals that we saw within the SLB and SNL segment. Bit of a busy month, so good to see activity picking up. Moving on to our next segment, and Nick, jumping back to you, as per our usual segment where we take questions from our listeners, we have two questions today. And listeners, do remember to write to us at podcast at sustainalytics.com. So the first one really is uh, talking about impact or asking about impact rather. So Nick, the question is, what really is impact investing? If you could share some thoughts around that. Well, that is a very good question and somewhat can be easy and difficult to answer both at the same time. But let me have a stab at that one. So thanks for the question. Look, I think there's a very specific term called impact investing, which is on a spectrum. So for those listeners who are really interested in this, definitely do some Googling and I would invite people to look at the different types of investing really as a spectrum. So you can have just for profit then you can have where the ESG market started off as, you know, some ESG exclusionary basic type of exclusions has moved to then ESG integration and things. And then philanthropy sort of up the other end, which is not really looking at returns at all and looking at very much um, charitable type, almost not investments. And I think impact investing sort of is in between uh, philanthropy and, and what you'd call more cutting edge 
you know, ESG integration and then investing and really searching for impact. So I don't think mainstream ESG investing is really impact investing. It might have a positive impact, but we should be careful when we use the word impact investing. It actually implies something quite specific. There's no doubt that green bonds uh, have impact. There's no doubt that social bonds have impact. There's no doubt that different types of ESG funds have less bad impact or more positive impact, depending on what thematic they're picking up. But when we look at impact investing, generally it's a very specific term connected to investments made in more traditionally social enterprises. Social enterprises are a lot of smaller companies, growing companies that have been set up with a very, very, very specific social mission, but they're not charities. They're not non-for-profits. They are businesses, but their whole construction, ethos, motivation with a significant amount of intentionality right from the start is to generate positive social social benefits. So hopefully that does justice to the answer, sorry, to the, to the question, I should say, not the answer, but I encourage people to think about some of these terms as a spectrum and some uh, investments have impact, but when we talk about impact investing, it's a very, very specific term, generally or traditionally focused on social and on companies that have just been set up to purely focus on generating social output, social impact, but as a, um, as a for-profit business. So we'll see if that answer hits the, uh, hits the spot. Great. Thanks, Nick. And the other one is a very interesting question. What is a sleeper SLL and are they bad? So this is something I'm hearing for the first time as well. Keen to hear from you. What is yeah, so it's sort of developed recently. So I think a sleeper SLL is essentially documentation for a loan, which has been set up and signed off by everyone that has provisions to convert, adjust, redocument, update, documentation connected to a loan to make it into an SLL. So I think there's a bit of a sour taste in some parts of the market about these because we have seen, let's just say some time back, deals get announced in the market as SLLs, represented at SLLs, but they didn't actually have KPIs or targets. It was like, yeah, we'll do that in the next year. Let's just say probably not a great example of best practice and we're strong believers, as most of the market is now, it shouldn't market a deal as an SLL until it is. And if it is, it needs targets and KPIs and all of those things that are put together. So I think sometimes when refinance are getting done, documentation needs to be sorted out. And I think having provisions to convert to an SLL where everyone agrees, I think is fine. But I think there's an obligation on the structurers, advisors and documenters of those to make sure that a facility, we don't run out of time. So it's a five-year deal and we're just documenting something in the last six months or the last year. Maybe that doesn't do justice to the actual impact that's trying to get created by setting the KPIs and targets. So yeah, really just provisions in loan documentation to convert to an SLL. And I think that's fine as long as everyone agrees to what it is, as long as it's not marketed as a SLL before it has those things. And as long as there's sufficient tenor left in a loan, to make sure that impact can be generated and it's not just a minor thing. And I think it's important that all parties sort of sign up to that rather than, you know, there's a number of banks and a couple of banks can force everyone else to, to do something and targets may not be great. So there's a few things to think through. Fundamentally, I don't think bad. It's always good to have documentation to convert, but must think through those structuring points to make sure it's robust and, and credible like any loan. Great. Thanks, Nick. So we'll move on to the section on green bonds and I'll just take our listeners through some of the deals 
that happen within green bonds and the transactions that happened uh, within the green loan segment. So starting with the sovereigns, our usual, as per our usual segment, uh, UK issued a green bond tap worth £4.5 billion. Uh, the Republic of Chile has issued its first peso-denominated sustainability bond for about $1 trillion in the local currency or $1.2 billion. The framework was evaluated and the second party opinion was provided by Sustainalytics. It's published on the website, so do take a look. News from Egypt, the country is considering raising 200 million in green bonds to build hydro plants. Very timely news as COP27 is ongoing in the country as we speak. In another news, Japan is planning to issue transition bonds. Uh, so that'll be something interesting to watch out for. Uh, Philippines is, uh, has raised $750 million from their third sustainability bond. Uh, so that's an activity in Philippines as well. Other countries include Switzerland, Mexico, Malta. All of them have either issued or looking to issue in in green format in the next few months. Austria raised 1 billion euros from a groundbreaking T-bill. So a little bit of a diversification in terms of instruments that's interesting to see that uh, sovereigns are now exploring SLB themes as well as um, shorter term instruments like a treasury bill, which is very rare and has uh, with maturity less than a five-year period. So something a little bit different to watch out for. There was uh, an issuance by Saudi Wealth Fund. They raised or they managed to raise $3 billion from their green bond debut. There was a lot of news around it, some criticism from investors. Uh, they've gone ahead with the issuance. Nairobi City is preparing green bond debut. Then there's Tokyo Pet- Metropolitan Government as well. Uh, so that's all rounds off on the sovereign side. Moving on to banks, uh, busy month for banks. BBVA issued its first green preferred bond. Sumitomo Mitsui Trust in Japan issued a green bond. There was an issuance in India. This was Symbiotics Investment, which issued a green bond in conjunction with an NBFC, one of the state one state-owned NBFCs. Uh, so good to see more activity picking up in the Indian domestic market as well. There was an issuance by French agency ADF, China Development Bank, that also issued in green format. Another one was uh, Japan Bank for International Cooperation. They raised $500 million from their green bond issuance. The opinion was provided by Sustainalytics and is also published on our website. Few other issuances within the banking sector across the, across the globe. So there was one in Slovakia, uh, which was Slovenska Bank, one in uh, Germany, uh, this was Bayern. And then another one is uh, IIFL Home Finance. Now, this is mortgage financier in India that have published their uh, uh, sustainable finance framework and are planning to raise green social and sustainability bonds under the framework. The framework was evaluated by Sustainalytics and the opinion is published on our website. Uh, so that was on the banking side. Moving on to the other sectors and starting with maybe looking at renewables and utilities. So there were issuances by City Core Power that is preparing its green finance program. There's the Dutch electricity firm Tenet that has issued a green bond to raise $3 billion. Another one was a Kiwi firm Contact Energy that raised $250 million or they've upsized their green bond rather. There was another one by NG that raised uh, a green bond worth 650 million euros in France. And EDP, which is a Portuguese firm that issued a green bond worth $500 million. A couple of issuances that we saw in the property sector as well. One was by the Italian firm A2A and the other one was by a property firm in the Philippines called Arthaland. Tokyo Tech also established the sustainability bond framework. 
And within Telcos, there was an issuance by a company called Telia, again, an Italian firm that uh, issued worth 100 million euros via Green Bond Tap. Then uh, various other sectors like universities, where the University of Tsukuba, again in Japan, uh, raised 20 million Japanese yen from their maiden sustainability bond. There was Fonterra within the agri sector. Uh, it's a dairy firm that is preparing to issue green social and sustainability bonds. There was an issuance in the shopping sector segment by a French firm called Carmila, and then another firm, Swedish corporate firm Rikshim, that also issued in a green bond format. On the green loan side, not many deals, but a few ones to highlight would be one in the eco-product segment, Chuetsu, which is a firm based in Japan with use of proceeds tied to production technologies and eco-efficient products. There's a borrower called Prelios in Italy, which is into the real estate segment that borrowed under a green loan framework. Firm called Unicredit uh, in Romania that signed a green loan with use of proceeds tied to energy efficiency. Iberdola in Spain, they are a frequent issuer, so they've topped up their green loan from European Investment Bank. And finally, within the leasing segment, there was a borrowing made by Yati Credit. This is a leasing firm based in Turkey, and they've secured a blue and a green loan from IFC with use of proceeds tied to sustainable water management, green buildings, climate change adaptation, energy efficiency, and so on. So that's sort of rounds off the green bonds and the green loans segment. And jumping back to you, Nick, if you could help highlight some of the deals within the social bonds or the social loan segment that we saw last month. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess just to recap some of the key themes there, there's an interesting sort of recent period. The banks are back with uh, with a vengeance, lots and lots of activities on that side. The sovereign market um, up and down, but we know, and I've said this a hundred times, the sovereigns are really important to catalyze a market. The banks to some extent as well. And then a few more of the usual suspects on renewables, utilities, property. But it was great to see some agri deals, great to see some universities. And then I guess on the loan side, a bit more specific, much more narrow focused in terms of, um, of property, a couple of um, blue themed um, themed items um, and even some Echo products by a couple of the smaller loans um, as well. So great to see some diversity uh, within a market that's been reasonably reasonably active, certainly on the banks and, and sovereign side. But to jump to social bonds and loans, as we've seen, social is sort of reducing as the overall percentage of sustainable finance, but that's social in isolation. If you add the social loans in, it'll be a bit of a different story. And if you look at sustainability bonds, pretty stable. They boomed in COVID and now they're just sort of reverting a little bit. A lot of the social items get financed in there and we've seen a big shift or a reasonable shift to SLBs and more and more social KPIs are emerging in those. So I think we always need to bear that context in mind when we're looking at um, social. Um, as continues to be the case, some banks issuing social in isolation. We saw an Italian bank in Tessa do one of those. We've seen a number of banks earlier in the year. We also saw ICO and again uh, from Spain looking at things such as affordable housing, SME funding, microfinance, those type of things. We saw the French uh, social debt agency Cades, who's been a very active um, issuer, also um, go to markets again. Uh, City of New York, actually, we saw a municipal calling out social um, on a specific thematic about social, uh, socioeconomic advancement and those type of things. We saw a pretty interesting one, actually, which, which is, is different and great to see, um, some speech tech. So a company called Tobidge 
Dorena Yox. And I'm sure I've absolutely massacred that name. So apologies to the, the folks at that company um, have come out with a Swedish um, speech generating technology firm converting a, a loan to a social loan, which I think is great and access to essential services. Um, so re- really good to see some of the health connected kind of themes emerge. Uh, we also saw a, a newish, shall we say, issuance emerge funding immigrants, US automo- automotive loan firm, First Help Financial, preparing to issue a social bond after um, putting out its framework um, and focusing really on working class immigrants from Central and South America, so giving um, uh, providing some financing there, affordable housing we talked about, and then a number of other um, banks who've got really difficult names to say, one in Mexico, one in Italy, uh, one in Berlin, so I'm not even going to try and pronounce that. I'm not on much of a roll on my, on my pronunciations, pronunciations today. And I guess I can just sort of stream through to the end of our other sections in the podcast, a couple of things on labelled products, transition specifically, and then regulations. To take the first one, in terms of labelled products, we continue to see supply chain financing, sustainable supply chain financing. I'm sure that has a, an acronym somewhere in that we're ready for everyone to agree on. Um, Levi's uh, work with HSBC to come out with a program supporting suppliers, so that's great to see. ICMA actually came out with a report and some studies on sustainability connected repos. Um, or repurchase agreements. So again, I think we'll see a few more of, of those and different types of derivatives linked and, and otherwise linked deposits. Woolworths, this one was in South Africa, Woolworths, um, links interest rates owned on deposits with um, SG targets. So interesting to see specific called out deals on a linked basis there. Um, and we also saw um, Stan Chart work with a receivables financing for uh, Siemens, if I'm not too wrong. So that was from the GT um, review. So some interesting things happening mostly on the trade space. More recently, receivables discounting, procurement financing, different types of working with suppliers of major buyers. And that's really good to see because as we know, like Scope 3, a lot of impact and a lot of issues are in supply chains, value chains. Super, super good to see. In terms of transition, Look, I think Aditi mentioned in the, earlier in the podcast a couple of transition-themed um, SLBs and indeed use of proceeds uh, instruments. Just a couple of things that I thought I'd call out specifically in this section. More and more about carbon trading. We've seen Hong Kong launch uh, or announce an in- intention, HKEX, on some carbon trading, carbon impact exchange in Singapore. Have. So again, voluntary parts of the market. I think we're also going to see some carbon pricing uh, adjustments because they're not high enough to change behaviours. So carbon trading is definitely a topic connected to transition. We're going to hear more about. As I mentioned, Climate Bond Initiative haven't released their um, hydrogen criteria. So many articles about hydrogen, reports about hydrogen and the rainbow of colours that can connect to that. We all want green hydrogen at the end of the day. So keep up tabs on that. And that CDI document is a really, really good reference um, I should say. So they're probably the key areas on transition. In terms of regulation, I guess we've talked a little bit about it through the podcast already. There's a little news, more from a geographic perspective. Uruguay, uh, seen as a sustainable finance gateway. So Latin America coming back on the radar again. India keeps talking about um, sovereign and has made some further announcements in that regard where you're based. Uh, Aditi said lots happening in India, lots in the news about plans, about bonds and various things. As I mentioned earlier, emerging markets, 
you know, right across the world, how do we catalyze more financing for adaptation, resilience, and other things to help those countries who are very vulnerable to climate change and maybe didn't cause some of the issues? Again, it's an emotive debate, a difficult one, but emerging markets as a theme and what regulations, support mechanisms will come in to, you know, work with those countries. Let's see. Philippines, um, close to us here in Singapore, you know, very progressive coming out with more and more things to consider from the Central Bank for Sustainable Finance. Also, Indonesia just hosting or just hosted the G20. Um, sustainability was a key discussion point there. Uh, we've seen Indo-Cement go to market and linked, linked format or announced their framework, as DG mentioned before. So things are really holding up in Indonesia, which is a commodity mining heavy, agri heavy market and lots of challenges there. But, you know, fourth largest population in the world, plenty to be done. Um, and then ongoing articles about China after their recent conference, their big um, their big CCP conference, uh, talking about stress uh, testing, you know, the green economy, talking about expanding that more rapidly. It's mind blowing the amount of investment that's ongoing there. So just a couple of thematics which jumped out, but we look forward to to really um, updating on COP27 next month and hopefully some regulations and some commitments to to couch and discuss as part of that. So, yeah, that finalises all that part, um, Aditi, for sure. Great. Thanks, Nick. All right, folks, that's about all the time we have for today's episode. Links to articles and reports mentioned in this episode can be found on our website. Do also follow us on our LinkedIn and Twitter handle at Sustainalytics and send any questions or feedback our way. Thanks again for tuning in. Till next time.